I'm Sheila Cast. We're on the record. Good morning. Even those of us who are not very tech-savvy have an idea that there is a gender gap in technology, but also that women seem to be closing it. What most of us don't know is much about what women were doing in the early days of the information age. Would you be surprised to learn that the very first programmers were women, and they did it on a project generated by the U.S. Army's Aberdeen Proving Ground in the northeast corner of Maryland at the end of World War II? Lawyer Kathy Kleiman tells the women's story in her new book, Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. Kleiman will talk about the women and what they accomplished Wednesday evening at Haverda Grace Middle High School. More details about that event later. Kathy Kleiman, a specialist in Internet law and policy, teaches at American University's Washington College of Law. She joins us by Zoom. Welcome to On the Record. Sheila, I'm so happy to be with you. I want to ask how you came upon the story and how you pursued it, but first let's talk about the story itself. It starts fairly early in World War II, not many months after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Why was the Army reaching out to hire women mathematicians? So the Army, uh, early in U.S. involvement during World War II, realized that they needed many more people to calculate mathematics. In particular, a group within the Army called the Ballistics Research Lab uh, in Aberdeen, Maryland, needed people to calculate ballistics trajectories. The path of a shell from the time it leaves the muzzle of the gun until it hits a target. At that point, uh, cannons were shooting 8 to 14 miles, and weather had a big impact on the arc of the trajectory. So if it was snowing, if it was raining, you had to change the angle of the gun in order to hit the target. And that was a differential calculus equation. And the Army needed um, lots and lots of weather variations for each gun and each type of shell. They needed thousands of calculations. And they didn't have enough male mathematicians. And they went and they started to hire young women, women math majors, women who had gone to college uh, during World War II uh, and majored in mathematics to calculate these trajectories. And what was their job title? Their job title, just like in Hidden Figures, was computer. A computer was a person long before it was a machine, and they were computing ballistics trajectories. In Proving Ground, you have great biographical sketches of each of the six women who became the first programmers. And I wish we had time to get to know each of them. Can you give us a sense of them as a group, what kind of cross-section of America they were? Sure. Um, initially, the Army would locate this project up to Philadelphia because of the density of schools in Philadelphia uh, where women could study. So um, Kay McNulty, Monkley Antonelli, and Frances Bela Spence came from Chestnut Hill College for Women in a suburb of Philadelphia. And Marlon Westcoff Meltzer went to Temple University. Betty Snyder Holberton was in one of the early co-ed classes at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, Then the Army will look further. They need more people, more women to calculate these trajectories. They'll go up to New York and bring down Ruth Lichterman-Teitelbaum from Hunter College in New York City. And then um, 
head out west and uh, later in the war, Gene Jennings Bardick will come in from Northwest Missouri State University and from a farm family in uh, Stanbury, Missouri. So uh, the Army really goes searching for this special talent. So the Ballistics Research Lab at Aberdeen Proving Ground is hiring more and more female mathematicians to do more calculations, but there's still a backlog. Right. Right, because we are introducing new types of artillery during the war. So there are new guns, there are new types of projectiles. Each of these uh, have their own testing and their own variations in the mathematical equations that then have to be calculated. It's a huge task. And the, the person who is head of the women computers at the University of Pennsylvania. His name is uh, Captain Herman Goldstein. He's also Dr. Herman Goldstein, a PhD mathematician. And he's you know, practically tearing his hair out because he needs so many more equations because it takes about 30 to 40 hours to calculate one of these trajectories to do the differential calculus uh, by hand, 30 to 40 hours, that's about a week. He needs so many of them. And he agrees in 43 to, um, he actually finds that there's an experimental project that's at the same place the women are. So the women by now are working at the Moore School of Electrical Engineering at the University of Pennsylvania. And um, that's where uh, Captain Goldstein is, is supervising them. And actually his wife is helping teach them the special graduate level mathematical techniques to do these calculations, Adele Goldstein. Um, but Herman needs to speed up these calculations, and he finds that there are two inventors who have an idea for creating the world's first modern computer. The adjectives are general purpose, programmable, all electronic computer, a highly, highly experimental uh, computer that was the, the brainchild of Dr. John Mockley, who was a physicist. And... Um, and then it was a young engineer, J. Presper Eckert, who really thought that they could get this machine off the ground. And That's, so the two of them pitch their idea to Herman Goldstein, and he pitches it to the Army, and the Army pays for it. That's American University law professor Kathy Kleiman on the record. I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about her new book, Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. So in 1943, they persuade the Army brass at Aberdeen Proving Ground to pay to build this new machine, but no one seemed to have a plan for programming it. <laughs> no, they definitely didn't. Was it even thought that computers needed to be programmed? I mean, was it just somehow thought they would work by themselves? No, no. There, it was definitely thought that computers need to be uh, needed to be programmed. This was very much the vision of Dr. John Mockley. If you look at other computers of the day, including Colossus that we know about at Bletchley Park in the UK to decrypt the German uh, codes, um, we built, we people built huge pieces of hardware to do very dedicated tasks. Um, and that seemed like a waste to Dr. Mockley. It's like, why build such big hardware just to do one problem. Why can't we reprogram it? Why can't we have a general purpose programmable computer that we can then have someone or someone's interface with it and change the problem that it's working on and working on very quickly. And so the army knew all along 
And so did Eckert Mockley and their team, that someone would have to program ENIAC to do the ballistics trajectory. But they were so busy building this, this huge eight foot, eight, eight feet tall, 80 foot long steel, black steel computer that they didn't think too much about it. It also wasn't their area of expertise. So once the ENIAC works, it's about two years later, 1945, and um, the war's almost over, but still the army, which was paid a lot of money for this computer, um, wants it delivered per contract with the working ballistics trajectory program. And so Herman Goldstein goes out and of the group of now about a hundred women computers, he picks six, uh, the six that I named earlier that we talked about. And um, he, asked them to program the ENIAC. And that was really hard. There are no programming languages at the time. They won't exist for another few years. Some of these women will help do that. Well, uh, and me, the, even the me, computer manual doesn't exist. Let me interrupt to ask, these women didn't even have clearance to go into the room where the ENIAC, which stands for Electrical Numerical Integrator and Computer, they couldn't even go into the room where it was being built. So how were they expected to figure out how to program it? That's a great question. I was shocked when I found out that they had the security clearance for the ballistics trajectories, but they didn't have the security clearance to go into uh, the room at the back of the first floor of the Moore School of Electrical Engineering at, at UPenn to even see the ENIAC. They were handed wiring diagrams, big white sheets of different types of engineering diagrams that we call wiring diagrams, block diagrams, and logical diagrams, and told to figure out what the 45 units of ENIAC did and then how to make them do that differential calculus equation that they knew so well. You write that when ENIAC was demonstrated to scientists, engineers, and other tech types in February 1946, after the war, when it was made, when it was publicly said the armies got this machine, quote, they knew the world had changed, close quote. In what way? So the ENIAC, well, the women eventually get the clearance to go into the room to, um, they've done a lot of the uh development of the trajectory program. Just like programmers today, they took a very sophisticated human problem and broke it down into the very incremental steps that uh, the computer could handle, that the ENIAC could handle. And even today, computers can only handle incremental steps. And um, But they still had to go in. In those days, you couldn't just type. You couldn't use a terminal to type instructions in. They had to go in and physically set up the ENIAC for their trajectory program and wire it so that the numbers would move from one unit to another. And the results of the calculation would then move uh, another place in the computer or move to the card punch to print them out. Um, so, but come February of 46, it's six months after World War II had ended and the army decides to reveal the existence of ENIAC. The Ballistics Research Lab wants a huge celebration as do the deans of the Moore School of Electrical Engineering and Eckert and Mockley. Everyone wants to celebrate that this experiment worked. And they invite leading technologists and scientists from up and down the East Coast, come to Philadelphia on a cold winter day. Um, and the ENIAC room is, is now the doors are thrown open. And the demonstration, the climax of the demonstration is actually the women's trajectory program. Um, but they are never introduced. And uh, that's a little disappointing for them then and afterwards. But because the trajectory program, ENIAC calculates the ballistic trajectory, 
in about 20 seconds. We're talking about a human equation that took 30 or 40 hours by hand, by math majors, by mathematicians. And now it's about 20 seconds by this um, incredible modern computer. And the technologists and scientists who were there, you know, gasped and uh, they knew the world had changed and that the information age had started. And of course, none of the spotlight was on the women who had programmed ENIAC. And one of them, Kay McNulty, Mochley, Antonelli, told you about the dinner that night where there was praise for the engineers who made the computer and for the top brass at Aberdeen Proving Ground who had had the guts to invest in it. And the women programmers were not even invited. In a documentary you made, Kay McNulty says, So uh, we women sort of fell between the cracks because we didn't belong to Moore School. And we were just uh, programmers. We were just computers as far as the, the brass was concerned. What did the women do the next day? Would you believe the women went to work the next day? They continued their work for the Army. They, um, it's six months after the war. The government is running a campaign to give a man a job trying to drag women out of the factories and the farms, out of jobs in some cases that they loved. But in this case, the Army Ballistics Research Lab asks all six of the women to continue working. The Army knows what they did, particularly, you know, Captain Herman Goldstein, John Mockley, J. Presper Eckert. They know how important the women's contributions were. And Jean Jennings Bardick will tell us later, the engineers gave them a lot of compliments, but those compliments were private, not known to the reporters, not known to the scientists and technologists who talked with the press. Um, so the women came to work and they would come to work some for years for the army because they were the ones who knew how to program ENIAC. So the army opens up ENIAC to um, a group of about a half dozen leading world mathematicians who have different projects that they want to try, different calculations on ENIAC to see whether it really is general purpose. Can it solve a wide array of problems? The the uh, the mathematicians walk in, they look at the ENIAC, eight feet tall, 80 feet long, and they say, who can help us communicate our problems to this computer? And they each uh, will will find one or two of the ENIAC programmers and work with them. Uh, ultimately, um, at the uh, towards the end of the year, towards the end of '46, the Army will move ENIAC from the Moore School of Electrical Engineering, which is now reopening to students and and regular school activities, and move it to Aberdeen Proving Ground in Aberdeen, Maryland. Will where it will continue for years in calculations. And uh, five of the six ENIAC programmers will actually work on projects at Aberdeen Proving Ground as supervisors, as teachers, as managers of the project. They'll teach the next generation of programmers. Need to take a quick break on the record. When we're back with Kathy Kleiman, her resolve to bring the ENIAC six programmers to light. On Wednesday evening, she'll speak at Heverda Grace Middle High School about Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us. Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. 
We're talking this morning about six women who shaped the course of modern computing, mostly behind the scenes. Law professor Kathy Kleiman lays out the history in her book, Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. You were an undergraduate at Harvard when you stumbled across a black-and-white photograph of a huge black metal room-sized computing machine, and something caught your eye. Why were you looking at that photo to begin with? Um, I was taking a course in American women's history, and... I was also taking a number of courses in in computer science and programming. And some of those courses, I was one of very few women in the room. And so I had wanted to see if there were other women in computing. There are two very famous women, Lady Ada Lovelace from the UK, and then Captain, later Rear Admiral Grace Hopper of the US Navy. But those were the only two names I knew after several years of, of computer programming. And so what caught my eye in this picture of ENIAC taken in January of 1946 was that there were women in the picture. And I looked farther and there were more of these black and white pictures of ENIAC taken around the same time. And there were women in those pictures too, but their names were not in the captions. And these were not sort of the women that we remember from mid-20th century appliance ads, kind of nicely dressed women waving their hands at appliances to sell them. They had a different air about them. They did. They did. They had an air of of confidence and self-assurance as they looked at this huge computer that would have made my jaw drop on the floor. And I thought that they probably knew something about what this machine did and how to use it. So you made contact with the Moore School at the University of Pennsylvania as it happened just before it was about to mark the 40th anniversary of the 1946 unveiling of the ENIAC computer. Who did you meet there? I spoke with a a retired professor, Saul Gorn, who was at the University of Pennsylvania. And I I told him I believed that women had been involved in the ENIAC project during World War II. And he invited me to the 40th anniversary of ENIAC, where I would meet um, a number of the women. I'd meet Jean Jennings Bardick and uh, Betty Schneider Holberton, Kay McNulty Mockley Antonelli, and Marlon Westcoff Meltzer. And they were telling stories of the bug that was in their trajectory program the night before demonstration day. And it was wonderful stories. It was clear they knew so much about what they had done. And I, th- I thought we should preserve these stories. But I didn't get around to doing it until 10 years later when I found out that most of them were not invited to the 50th anniversary of ENIAC and that their story had almost been lost. This is On the Record. I'm Sheila Cass speaking with American University law professor Kathy Kleiman about her book Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. Yeah, you lined up um, the financial backing and expertise to do oral history interviews with four of the programmers in 1997, and those interviews became the core of a documentary called The Computers. Why did you think it was important to do oral histories? When I first found the pictures and took them to a senior computer historian, 
I was told the women, and you alluded to this, the women were refrigerator ladies, like the models in the 1950s commercials opening up the Frigidaire with such a flourish. And they weren't. And how do you change history when it's been mistold? I thought if we could turn the cameras on and let the ENIAC programmers, thank goodness, uh, they were still, many of them were still with us. Um, if we could let them tell their stories, if they could claim credit for what they did, it would be hard for people to take it away later. And that's why we did the oral histories. Here's a clip in the documentary from Marlon Westkoff Meltzer. We were sure that this machine could do anything we wanted it to do. We were very cocky about that. So we set about to try to make it do it. Was that self-confidence key to their success? I think the women gained self-confidence as they worked on the ENIAC. First, the women didn't know what they were doing. They had to study each of the units from the wiring diagrams. And then they had to break down this, this complicated calculus equation into uh, steps the ENIAC can handle. By the time they finished all of that, yes, they knew they knew what they were doing. And they had really understood and bought into the idea that this was a general purpose programmable all electronic computer that if it was properly programmed and they were the keys to doing that, um, it could solve a number of complicated equations at lightning speed. Um, they really, they understood computing power almost before the rest of us. What has it meant to you personally to know four of the six women who programmed the first modern computer? Oh, it's meant everything. Uh, the women who programmed ENIAC, who I got to know, Jean, Betty, Marlon, and Kay, um, they were role models. They were mentors. Um, when I entered internet law uh, early on, uh, I sometimes called them and talked with them about some of the challenges I was facing. Um, there, there weren't very many roadmaps for what we were doing, and I was often the only woman in the room. And their encouragement and the fact that they had been pioneers in their own right meant the world to me. So what what do you think happens with their story now? You've got a documentary out. You've got a book out. You're on the road talking about it. Is this history firmly locked in now, or is there still pushback? Oh, there's still pushback. There are still people who say that what the women did was not important and that they did not understand what they were doing. That's unfortunate. The people who do seem to understand the story are students. I've been talking all over the country to college and university students and more recently high school students, and they love the story. And as we try to encourage everyone, girls, people of color, to go into STEM professions because we're supposed to have a million new jobs in the next decade in STEM. Maybe for them, it will be as meaningful as for me to have role models who look like them and role models who were the pioneers who opened up the field. I, I, think, I think we should be past every woman thinking they're the first in computing. Um, I think we, we should all know we're entitled to be in the STEM fields. Kathy Kleiman, I appreciate your sharing this story with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 
Kathy Kleiman, law professor at American University, wrote Proving Ground, the untold story of the six women who programmed the world's first modern computer. She'll discuss it Wednesday at an event organized by the Maryland Women's Heritage Center, Discovery Center at Water's Edge, and the Harford County Historical Society. It starts at 6.30 p.m. at Harvard Grace Middle High School. Come at 5.30 to meet Kleiman. We've got links to information about the event, the book, and the documentary at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cass. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow.